Fellow students, if you would open to Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47, for those of you that are following along. Just to bring you up to speed, last week we reviewed Acts 2nd, the first part of the chapter, which, as you recall, recorded the coming of the Holy Spirit and Peter's sermon that followed. Remember that even though Jesus ascended into heaven and went back to heaven, he did not leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to come. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life at the moment of salvation. And as a result of that impact back in Acts 2, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ on day one. Now that was the beginning of the church. The church are literally the ecclesia, which is the called out ones. So you and I are the called out ones, the ones that Jesus has called out from following the world and called us out to follow him. The, the, the Bible has various names for the church, because really that's what this is, the beginning of the birth of the church is sometimes called a family. The church is sometimes called a household, an oikos, that's the Greek. The church is sometimes called the bride. The church is sometimes called a kingdom. But perhaps most intimately, the church is often called a body, a body. We are the body of Christ on earth. He's in heaven, and we are his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears on earth. We are called to represent Jesus Christ on earth. We're called to be his ambassadors to a lost and dying world. We represent the kingdom of heaven, and you all are citizens of heaven, and that's where your passport is. And when you leave here, if you know Jesus as your Savior, that's where you go. That's why we say this world is not my home. We who love Jesus are called to carry his good news, his gospel. That's literally what it means to a lost and dying people who the good news is, is they can be reconciled to God and they can experience eternal life. Now, it's obvious that we can't carry that good news on our own strength. We need divine help and we have that. And that's why God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to get that done. Now, God, our father wants a very big family. You are adopted into his family. Amen. He wants to adopt millions more people into his forever family, and he wants you and I to carry the news that adoption is possible into God's family. And a matter of fact, he's promised us to do that in Matthew 16, 18. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus promised, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that is a guarantee from the Lord of the church but it's a conditional guarantee. Jesus says, I will build my church. Satan will be unable to destroy you. Satan will be able to, unable to destroy you personally or as a collective church because I'm going to build your church. My family will succeed in sharing my love with the world. That's the guarantee. But you need to understand that it's a conditional guarantee. Hell will not be able to overcome the church if and only if Jesus Christ builds his church his way, and you're a part of that process. As many of you know, we just finished a major remodel last September of our worship center. Now, you need to know that you, any of you, how many of you have ever done any remodeling? You know something? I got so much hot air. We got to get rid of this thing <laughs> right now. All right, now we're going to get warmed up. If you've ever done any remodeling or building, any building, you know you can't do it without a blueprint, amen? You need a blueprint, you need a plan. I hope you have a plan if you remodel. If you don't, you're gonna run into scope creep. 
Scope creep says we start with this little wall and then it morphs into the appliances and then it morphs into the floor and then it morphs into the walls and pretty soon the job, it's like Botox. You start Botox in one spot then everything else looks bad so it kind of, you know, you gotta do Botox here and you gotta do Botox here and you do Botox here and pretty soon, you know, you're, it's a lot bigger project than you think. So you need a blueprint. A blueprint's a plan about how you're gonna accomplish that objective. You need to know that Jesus has written the plan for how he will build his church. Now he's called us to work with him in building that church. If a church is built according to God's plan, that church will last forever. Unfortunately, the landscape of history is littered with the corpses of dead churches. Churches that once were building according to God's blueprint and they drifted away from Jesus' plan into their own plan. By the way, this works in marriage too. Jesus has a plan for marriage, amen? amen? To the extent that you follow the blueprint, you get the outcome. If you don't follow the blueprint, you get a different outcome. So I talk to people all the time. Man, my financial life's a mess. I said, what's the plan? They said, plan? Well, we don't have a plan, we just spend. I said, well, that's not a good plan for a financial future, right? You say, I used to do a lot of marriage counseling. People come in, our marriage is a mess. I said, what's the plan you've been following? They said, we haven't followed any plan. It's just all about me. And I said, well, all about me will trash even the best relationship. Matter of fact, it won't take more than a few weekends, right? So you need to have a plan. Well, Jesus has the perfect plan to build his church that lasts forever. Because see, Jesus is not only, he owns the land that the church is built on, right? He's the architect that drew up the blueprint for how to build the church. He's the engineer, he's the construction superintendent, and Jesus Christ is also the building inspector. You know what building inspectors do? They check to see if the actual construction conforms with the blueprint. Dan Scales knows exactly what I'm talking about with this. Dan's built a lot of buildings. So when you submit plans for a blueprint, the plans have to be approved, right? By the powers that be. And if you make material changes in the blueprint, you have to get them obviously signed off as well. We call those change orders. Now, Jesus' blueprint is perfect, and Jesus will never approve any building that is not constructed according to his perfect plan because he knows that buildings that don't follow his plan fall apart. We just finished a series in Revelation. Remember what Jesus said about the church in Sardis? That was one of the first churches we looked at, Revelation 3.1. He said, I know your deeds, that you have a name, you have a reputation for being an alive church, but you are really dead. I was going to say dead or an Elvis, but I mean, that's dead, right? <laughs> Sardis is a zombie church. Sardis is dead men walking. Sardis church is going through the motions. Everybody says, you have a great reputation. A lot of things are happening at that church. In fact, spiritually, nothing was happening. So you can have a church that looks alive, you can have a church that acts alive, but from Jesus' point of view, it's dead. The church at Sardis had decided that their plan was better than Jesus' plan. They began to do things their way, and of course, Satan overpowered them, and bad things happened. How many of you ever bought a product that had a warranty? Anybody ever bought a product that had a warranty? Did you get a warranty in your marriage? Was there, was there, was there, anybody? Is there a warranty? She promised me she'd behave. <laughs> yeah, but that was conditional. <laughs> Amen. I promise a better word. Yeah. 
You, you had no idea how worse it was going to be, right? No, no I'm kidding. Me, Rob and Carolyn, wonderful. If, here, here's the deal with the warranty. If you buy a product that has a warranty and you tamper or modify or alter the product, what do you do to the warranty? You avoid the warranty. Jesus says the same thing here. Now, let me give you a couple of examples, a couple of historical examples. Two people who decided that their plan was better than God's plan. Samson the judge and Saul the king. You know the story. Both of them were gifted by God to accomplish great things. Samson was supposed to throw off the Philistines and Saul was supposed to finish the job. Samson's blueprint was what? Keep your Nazarite vow. Don't drink. Don't get your hair cut. Don't touch any dead bodies. You'd think he'd be able to keep that, right? He violated all three of them very, very quickly early on in his ministry. King Saul's mandate was don't substitute your plan for God's plan. God's got a great plan. Follow his plan. Saul decided his plan was better than God's plan, like Samson did. And since God's never going to bless disobedience, he said, fine, have it your way. You know what happens in your life when you have it your way? Satan has his way with you. And that's what happened to both of them. The Philistines killed both of them. Now, we're going to look at God's blueprint for his church. And I'd like you to look at Acts 2, verse 41 to 47. This is the birth of a brand new church. This church was not perfect. But they were pursuing the right things. They were following God's blueprint. When you read the description of this brand new church, it literally sounds like a honeymoon. What this church lacked in maturity, they more than made up for in love. It, when you read this, it looks like happily ever after. We know that honeymoons don't last forever. Sooner or later, you got to start doing life together. And life together means what? Doggy breath in the morning, drool at night, right? <laughs> dirty dishes, dirty diapers, bills to pay, lawns to mow, jobs to do. Have any of you discovered that life is messy? <laughs> really messy? Perry does dairies. Dairies are really messy, right? Amen? That's yeah, that's good. That's all right. You don't get milk unless you have a mess. So that's part of the turf at that point. So Acts 2 is describing what this church did, how they did it, what motivated them to believe and behave like they did. Now, when you look at this church and God's blueprint for this church and churches in general throughout history, including us, God's blueprint has not changed. His blueprint for them was his blueprint for us. And what you're going to notice about this church is that they did very few things. Very few things. They had very limited number of priorities. As a matter of fact, they only had five. Now, priority is an English word that means the very first. That which is prior. That which takes precedence. That's what priority means. If you have 20 priorities, you have zero priorities, right? If you try and do too much, if you attempt to do everything, you accomplish nothing. So what are the church's priorities? What's God's blueprint for his church? I'm going to give you a phrase. This came, comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. They didn't co-opt it. They just used it. First things first. First things first. Make sure you know what the priorities are and keep them at the front of the line. Here's a phrase that I didn't give to Rob, but if you want to change your life, this will change your life if you actually apply it. Here's the phrase. Identify the essential, eliminate everything else. The first phrase is easy. Identify the essential. Yeah, we can probably do that. Then the work is eliminate everything else. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. My essential list just got a lot bigger. 
Yeah, I know. Now I got 20 things on the essential list. If you have 20 things on the essential list, you have nothing on the essential list because we can't do 20 things. Jesus' blueprint, five. Verse 41. So then, those who had received Peter's word were baptized and there were added that day to the church about 3,000 souls. Remember, Peter's just finished his great sermon. 3,000 people came to Jesus and were baptized in day one. So let me give you the picture. At the beginning of day one, the church had 120 members. At the end of day one, how many members? 3,120, right? This would be every pastor's dream and every pastor's nightmare at the same time, right? You know, uh, Marin and I know a family who had triplets. It's extreme joy and it's extreme exhaustion. When you look at their diaper bill, it would, it would exhaust your finances as well. So in one day, they have 3,000 brand new spiritual babies in this church, and how do you care for them? How do you determine what's essential and what can be eliminated? Jesus tells you in the blueprint, verse 42, and they, these 3,120 members, were continually devoting themselves. Underline those two words, devoting themselves. I want you to understand that, first of all, this was a genuinely saved church. They were genuinely, continually devoting themselves, which means this group didn't start and stop. They didn't begin and stop. They walked their talk every day. You ever notice that some people say, I love you? And then there are those that show they love you by their actions. Which do you believe at the end of the day? Actions speak louder than words, right? This group was continually devoting themselves to five things. We're going to talk about that. By the way, if you love someone, it will show. Jesus said, we will know you by your fruit, right? Well, yeah, they'll know we're Christians by our love. If there's no love, we wonder if there is any Jesus, as a matter of fact. If you love Jesus, it will show and we will know. If you love Jesus, it will show and we will know. You know, when you have a brand new baby in the house, you are continually devoting yourself to the care of that new baby, right? Say yes. Don't look at me like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I know you've had new babies. What do you do with a brand new baby when they cry at 2 o'clock in the morning? You say, go back to sleep. How effective is it? They don't listen to your words, right? You know what? You get out of bed, you get up, you feed them, you change them, you burp them. Right? All the while you're zoning out in front of the microwave waiting for that milk bottle to warm up. Yeah, I've done that too. So these people are saved Christians because they continually devote themselves to the right thing and they stay the course, they don't quit. Now, there's a small list of things they're devoting themselves to. The first one is in verse 41. The first priority was devotion to the apostles' teaching. So you need to understand this was a church that taught and obeyed God's word. Here's the principle. A healthy church family prioritizes teaching and obeying God's word. Do you know that a church is like an extended family? In a family, you can prioritize anything. I know a tremendous number of families that prioritize sports. You know why I know that? Because they're doing sports 50 weeks a year on the weekends. Every weekend, we gotta go to games, we gotta go out of town. I'm not down on sports, but if sports pushes Jesus Christ out of your life, you got an idol, right? So you got to prioritize. You have to make choices about what's most important. 
This church in Acts and this church, Valley Baptist Church, prioritizes teaching and obeying God's word because you cannot do what you do not know. That's why understanding God's word is so vital. You know, Jesus said to John 17, 17, God's word is truth, and truth is, of course, the foundations that everything's built on. Some churches are built on emotions. Some churches are built on experiences. Some churches are built on entertainment. You can just turn on the TV and you can see lots of entertainment, right? Religious entertainment. Some churches are built on human opinion. Some churches are built on the latest gimmick. But Jesus' church is built on Jesus and it's built by Jesus, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the same Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The believers in Acts, let me ask you a question. Why were they devoting themselves to studying and understanding God's word? Anybody? Why? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit? Why else? Why would, they, why would they study God's word? Why do you study God's word? Say what? To know what to do. What else? Know the truth. Know the truth. What else? Learn. Learn. Grow. Let me give you a very simple phrase. They wanted to know what God had to say. They wanted to know what God had to say. We come to church every week here, among other things, many other things, because we want to know what God has to say. If you want to watch out what the world has to say, hit your internet and get a streaming news feed. You'll find out lots of human opinion, right? We come to church and we open God's word because we want to know what God has to say. The same God that created the universe is the God that wrote the love letter to us. And the God who wrote, created the universe wants us to know what he wants us to do with our lives. The owner of life gave us the operating manual. That's what this is. This is an operating manual. How many of you ever bought a, uh, an, uh, a computer, an automobile, a piece of entertainment equipment, and it comes with an operating manual? Now, I confess, I am the worst at reading, Brian, what do you call them? You know, the, when, how to put something together? The instructions, yes, the instructions. Brian's got to tell me what instructions are. You know, you, you know what it says, how to assemble it? I am the worst at doing that because I think, here's my theory, they get the slowest guy on the line who is the worst at assembling and they say, you write the instructions. You're just slowing the assembly line down, right? So I'm, I'm bad at that. But I've got to tell you, God doesn't make any mistakes when he writes the operating manual. He knows how you and I are to live because he created us. For heaven's sakes, read the operator's manual. Every week in manna, we open God's word so that we can know and then we can do. Now see, God's word is not only truth, it's also spiritual nutrition. 1 Peter 2 says that we should be like newborn babies who what? Hunger after the milk of the word so that we can grow. See, if you miss too many meals, you're probably going to die of hunger. Nobody misses meals in manna. We got food for everything, right? When you neglect the Bible, you become spiritually malnourished. If you ne neglect the Bible long enough, you'll spiritually starve to death. The Bible is not just food, the Bible is concentrated food, right? The Bible's not like cotton candy or popcorn. You know what the Bible's like? Beef jerky. I mean, it's really concentrated food. How many of you have taken one Bible verse and just chewed on it all day long? 
I, let me reframe that. How many of you have been chewed on by a Bible verse all week? <laughs> That's what it's all about. When the word of God begins to chew on you and bring conviction in, and sometimes it just brings encouragement. Sometimes we're in the dumps and we're depressed and life really stinks. And the word of God just carries us. And there's a verse, one of God's promises that comes along and we're reminded. I can't tell you how many times Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there's been a lot of circumstances in my life. I'm going, man, I'm really glad you're here now. Because it ain't working really well right now. So the Lord's word not only convicts us, it also encourages us. So they were devoted to the word of God. The second thing they were devoted to was fellowship. That's a Greek word, koinonia. It means spiritual togetherness. It means a joint partnership. It means sharing a common goal. Here's, here's principle number two. Healthy family prioritizes fellowship by sharing life together. Now, fellowship follows a shared commitment. Fellowship follows a shared commitment. It's like the fellowship of a sports team, right, that shares a commitment to train year-round in order to have the best shot at the championship. It's the fellowship of surviving boot camp together. It's the fellowship of fighting battles together. Lord Nelson, the legendary naval British commander, once said, I had the happy occasion of leading a band of brothers. Have you ever noticed that there's no problem with fellowship when you're front lines of a battle? If you're in a group of Marines and you're under fire, you don't worry about fellowship because everybody's got everybody's back because we have to work together or we don't get out of here alive. So fellowship comes from shared commitment. And when you're on the front lines, it really is life or death. You know, no one dies for their country, but lots and lots of soldiers die for their buddies. My father was a POW during World War II in Japan. He was systematically starved and beaten and he worked in the coal mines in mainland Japan for three years. And early on, he and another POW buddy made a commitment they'd watch each other's backs. And they did, and they both survived, and they became best friends. And amazingly amazing, this friend of my dad's went back to the Philippines where he was a POW as a missionary for 35 years. That's love. That's obedience. Great guy. Great guy. See, fellowship follows shared commitment, and fellowship breaks down when the commitment to a common goal breaks down. One of the things about manna and about Valley Baptist Church. We don't have a problem with fellowship because we're focused on the goal. We're focused on the gospel. We're focused on getting people saved and going to heaven. That's why we exist. The same is true of the church. We're literally in a life and death battle with Satan. Do you know Satan is after each one of you? Satan is after each one of us. And if we stand together with our fellow family members, we'll resist him. One of the reasons we come here every week is we need to give encouragement to family members who need it, and we may need to receive encouragement from other family members because we need it. <clears throat> you know, one of our founding principles in manna is life together. Life together. God didn't design us to do life alone. He designed us to do life together. Drop down to verse 44 in your text, and it says, all those who believed were together. Verse 46 says they were taking their meals together. You notice these church members were not spectators. They were participating in each other's life. They shared their time. They shared their money. They shared their possessions, their homes, their wisdom. They prayed for each other. Many, many people in our culture want to stay on the sidelines. 
Because when you get involved in people's lives, what happens? It gets muddy. It gets messy. How many of you know people whose lives are messy? When you looked in the mirror this morning, you're on that list. Our life is messy. Here's the truth. Family helps family. And you will get dirty helping family. And it's worth it. It is so worth it. Jesus gets involved in your messy life every single day. Amen? And he says, sons and daughters, go and do likewise. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, don't be flaky on fellowship. Now that's Brad's translation. It says, do not forsake our own assembling together. That means don't be flaky on fellowship. Stay together, be together, come together, but encourage one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, we have a lot in common. We really, really do. We share a commitment. The most important thing we have in common is Jesus Christ. We also have the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit's in you is in me. Same God, right? We share a common commitment to the Great Commission that was given by our King Jesus. You know, our common goal is nothing less than the entire earth worshiping the King of Kings. That's our common goal. That's our mission. Our common destination is heaven. That's where we're going, right? We get to spend eternity together. I know some of you are saying, <clears throat> that would be a long time with some people. <laughs> the good news is, is Jesus is going to change them. <clears throat> He's also going to change you, right? We'll be much more tolerable when we get to heaven because we'll be perfect. We will have no sin. If you want to experience more fellowship, I've got a prescription for you. Get more committed. Get more committed. Some of you in this room, I love you dearly, but I'm going to take my pitchfork out now and stick it all the way up your spinal column. You need to get more involved. You need to get more committed. If you're lacking fellowship, you don't get fellowship on the periphery. You get fellowship by diving in the deep end. Get involved in a ministry that God tells you to get involved in. Some of you are not in a formal ministry, doesn't matter. Some of your ministry is your children. Some of your ministry is your grandchildren. Some of your ministry is your elderly parents. Some of your ministry is taking your neighbors to the doctor. Anything that honors Jesus Christ is ministry. It doesn't have to have a fancy title. Don't worry about the title. Mowing your neighbor's lawn may be the ministry Jesus Christ called you to do. Amen, then do it, right? But get involved in ministry. It says they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread as well. Now, this can refer to communion, the Lord's table, and it can just refer to eating meals together. If you look at verse 46, it says, Day by day, <clears throat> continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, or breaking bread from restaurant to restaurant, either way, right? They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You know, in the ancient Near East, sharing a meal was a very intimate thing. Because when you shared a meal with someone, you could not be their enemy. If you shared a meal with somebody, you could not plan evil against them. As a matter of fact, when you invited a guest for a meal into your house, you were obligated to provide physical protection for them. So if they're having a meal and somebody knocks on the door and wants to take their head off, you're obligated to protect them. That's ancient Near East custom. Now Jesus prepares a feast for us. Where? In the presence of our enemies, right? Psalm 23. 
<clears throat> so God provides for us and protects us, and we're to do likely. Same thing. It's interesting that in the Bible, food and fellowship seem to go together, right? Have you noticed that we kind of do that here? We have supper for six or seven in manna, right? We have food at our bunco parties. We have food at our Christmas parties. We have food when we meet in the park. We have food when we have a blast at the Bucks. Last year we did a progressive dinner, right? It's all about food. The early church also celebrated communion with a love feast. Last week we celebrated communion in church, right? Amen. The Lord's Supper. We commemorated Jesus' death that he paid for us on the cross. The early church did that every single week. They didn't want to forget the price that was paid for their freedom. It says here that they were continuing with one mind and they had gladness and sincerity of a heart. When you have one mind, that means everybody's on the same page. You know what that means? You have unity. You have unity. And when you have unity, you get happiness. When you focus on Jesus and not yourself, you get joy. It was interesting. I just thought about this. I have never yet met a happy narcissist. <laughs> no one gets joyful by staring in the mirror. You might get depressed by staring in the mirror. But I don't know anybody gets joy by looking in the mirror all the time, right? You want to be glad? Others. Look at Jesus. Look at others. Count your blessings. I mean, today you look and you say, we've been saved. Heaven's our home. Jesus lives. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. God loves us. God's people love us. God has a plan. I have skills. I'm supposed to use them. I've got an opportunity to give. When I give, I receive. You got a lot to be thankful for? Count the blessings. Count the blessings. It also, they're devoting themselves to the word. They're devoting themselves to fellowship. Verse 42, it says they were devoting themselves to prayer. And verse 43 says, everyone kept sense of feeling of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Verse 46, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Here's the principle. A healthy church family prioritizes worship through prayer and praise. A healthy church family prioritizes worship through prayer and praise. Now, the literal Greek word for prayers here is the prayers. A definite article, the prayers. The Jewish people had three planned prayer times every day. The third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. Now, the Jewish calendar started at 6 a.m., the Roman calendar started at midnight, so sometimes in Scripture you got to know which calendar they're talking about. The Jewish calendar for the day clock started at 6 a.m. So the third hour of the day was when? 9 o'clock. The sixth hour was? And the ninth hour was? 3 p.m. at that point in time. So we have three prayer times. The 9 a.m. and the 3 p.m. are associated with evening sacrifice. That's when they did their sacrifices. But they, they had planned times for prayer. Plan times for prayer. I know that seems a little forced, <clears throat> but how many of you plan your meal times? Wow, I guess that analogy doesn't work, does it? <laughs> you kind of just graze all day, right? I mean, I just graze all day, right? <laughs> yeah, meal times? What's a meal time? It's always meal time, right? I was going to say, how many of you plan your bedtimes? And I'm thinking, that's probably not going to work either. <laughs> we don't plan bedtimes. We kind of go to sleep. 
Now, I think you plan your work times, or maybe your boss plans your work times. You know, you've got to show up on time, at least for some things, right? Here's why. Here's the principle. I didn't, this is not from Rob, but this is a side one. You plan for priorities. It's not a principle. It's just a side note. It's a freebie, Rob. It's a freebie. Plan your priorities. When I say plan your priorities, you know what I mean? Write them down. Write them down. If prayer is a priority, plan for it. Plan for it. Prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. You know, when everything's going well, we tend to neglect prayer unless we schedule time for it. Let me give you a metaphor, an analogy, I guess. If you leave talking with your loved ones to chance, how often will you talk? I know there are some loved ones that you enjoy talking with more than others. But if it's important, don't leave it to chance. Talking with God is too important to leave to chance. Every single week in manna, we do what? We write down prayer requests. Why? We plan for all of us to be praying for each other. And every week in manna, what, you get an email probably on Monday or Tuesday, right? With all the prayer requests. Why do we do that? Because we have needs and we want each other to be praying for each other in our spiritual family. So we schedule picking up prayer requests and we schedule time for praises. But do we schedule time for praying? Do you have a time on the calendar that says, you know something, talking with God is a priority, so I'm going to plan for it. Do you have a time planned for opening the Bible and reading it so you understand what God has to say to you? If it's a priority, plan for it, right? If it doesn't hit the schedule, probably won't happen. Put it on the calendar. Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taken through the apostles. Now, it's obvious that God was working in this church. Many people were responding with worship. And the miracles, people being healed, were pretty spectacular. God may not be doing visibly spectacular miracles as regular to them, but you know God is working today. How many of you experienced an answer to prayer in the last 30 days? Last 30 days. How many of you prayed in the last 30 days? I'm just checking because most of us, when we pray, we have requests, right? We're saying, God, please, I need help. There's nothing wrong with requests. He's the one you should bring your request to. Today, in 21st century America, in Bakersfield at Valley Baptist Church, God still restores broken relationship. He still rescues people from addiction. God still heals illnesses. He still changes businesses. He still reconciles family members. He still provides jobs. He still arranges divine appointments. Every single Sunday at this church, we see miracles. Miracles beyond belief. Every single Sunday, Jesus causes the blind to see and the deaf to hear his voice. Every single Sunday people come to faith in Jesus Christ because the greatest miracle of all is not your physical healing. It's the healing of a sin-sick soul. It's moving from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life. When someone gets baptized and someone goes forward, that is moving from death to life. You know, if you heal my, my physical cancer, am I grateful? 
Does that prevent me from dying in 20 years or whatever? I'm going to die physically. So I'm not saying it's not good to be physically healed, but spiritual healing is far more important because that's eternal life. When someone comes forward and says, I'm trusting Jesus Christ, and if you are a Christian, you should be baptized as a declaration of that, you're basically saying, I will live forever with Jesus in heaven. Now that's a miracle. The greatest miracle of all. And it's worthy of praise. And this church made time for that. Verse 44. It says, And all those who believed were together, there's that word again, and had all things in common, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all as anyone might have need. Here's the principle. A healthy family, church family, prioritizes serving those in need. Now I want you to get the circumstances of this. There were 3,000 new converts. Almost all of them were visitors from Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, from foreign countries. They didn't live in Jerusalem. Remember last week we talked about the 10, 12 countries they had come from? They were visitors to Jerusalem from foreign countries. They were Jewish pilgrims for the Feast of Pentecost, and they, needed to, they got saved, but they needed instruction. They needed discipleship. How many churches were there around the empire? One. Where was it? In Jerusalem. If they wanted to get discipled, they wanted to learn more about Jesus, where'd they have to stay? In Jerusalem. Where are they going to stay? I mean, they didn't have a Sheraton back then. You know? They didn't. They had homes. They needed to stay in Jerusalem. They needed food. They needed housing. And the local believers here stepped up and said, stay at my place. I'll meet your needs. I'll even sell property to raise cash to care for the needs of my new family members. Now, this wasn't for luxuries. This was for necessities, food, clothing, and shelter. By the way, the socialists use this passage all the time to justify a biblical interpretation of socialism. This is not socialism. This is love. There is a vast difference between socialism or communism or fascism and love. Here's the difference. Socialism says, you own it, I want it, I'll take it. Or I'll vote for somebody that will take it from you. Right? Love says, I own it. You need it. I'll share it. Socialism is by force. Love is by choice. Big difference between choosing to share what you own with someone because you care and having someone say, I have a right to what you work for by the law and I'm going to steal it from you. You understand? There is a vast difference between the two. This does not teach socialism or communism. This teaches love. See, socialism is motivated largely by sloth and envy. I'm lazy, but you got it, so I want it, and I'm going to vote for somebody who will take it from you, or I'll just steal it from you. Right? Thou shalt not steal is still a commandment, by the way, for those that are wondering. Giving is voluntary and it's motivated by diligence and generosity and love. Big difference between the two. These believers served because they loved. Verse 46. It says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, or restaurant to restaurant, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So they had one mind, they were unified, they had gladness of heart, and they understood that joy is a byproduct of loving Jesus and loving people. When you love Jesus and love people, you get joy. 
Verse 47, it says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the principle, the last principle. A healthy church family prioritizes sharing the love of Jesus with the world. A healthy church family prioritizes sharing the love of Jesus with the world. It says those who are being saved. Here's the point. Jesus does the saving, we do the sharing. Jesus does the saving, we do the sharing. It's our privilege to share the good news with others about how they can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 records the Great Commission. What does the Great Commission say? Go into the world and make disciples. So you and I can't save anyone, but it's our privilege and our responsibility to share with others that Jesus Christ saves. So here's the five priorities of the church. You know, as we age, time becomes more precious. Have you noticed that? When you do, when you choose to do something, you can't do anything else. You can only do one thing at a time. So when we talk about the priorities of the church, I also want to challenge you to consider your own life's priorities. Priorities simply say what's most important. God has a blueprint for your life, and he has determined for you what's most important because he created you. And he's told us the five priorities of the church that are also our five priorities. Not only does, should a healthy church prioritize teaching and obeying God's word, we should individually. We should understand what God has to say so we can obey it. Number two, a healthy church family and us as individuals prioritizes fellowship by sharing life together. That means we are willing to get messy. That means we're willing to get involved in people's lives. Number three, a healthy church family and we as individuals prioritizes worship through prayer and praise. And worship should not just take place on Sunday morning, right? Should have an attitude of worship during the week. Every Number four, a healthy church family prioritizes serving those in need. The needs around us are vast, and you cannot meet every need, but insofar as God arranges for those divine appointments, be willing to step up and say yes. And lastly, a healthy church family prioritizes sharing the love of Jesus with the world. One of the things that has struck me is that time is running out. The clock is running. Uh, Marin and I were looking through the obits this morning. We tend to do that pretty regularly just to make sure we're not in there. Um, and we didn't notice. You know, if, you, if you're in the obits and you didn't notice, that's a problem with self-awareness. Right? Okay, I'm not sure where I am here at this point in time. How many of you noticed that the obits are increasingly populated with people whose birth dates are after yours? Yeah. It's kind of interesting, you know, sometimes you look and you go, well, that person's younger than me. And what's really bad is they look better than I do. I wonder what happened, you know? I mean, it makes you pay attention. The less time you have in life, the more imperative it is to pay attention to priorities. What's important, and one of the best things you can do, in my humble opinion, is ask God every day, Lord, here's what I've got written down on the to-do list, here's what I've got written on the calendar, but I give you the right to interrupt my calendar anytime you want. Has God interrupted your calendar? Are you willing to have him interrupt your calendar with his priorities? That's the end of the day.